Off to Hollywood we go this week for my very special guest, John Ross Bowie. Note the sound of the last name. It's not Bowie, like I tried to call him. No, no, it's Bowie. But he stuck around, because he's a nice guy. And we talk all about his time on The Big Bang Theory, Speechless, the latest Jumanji movie. He's a writer. He wrote a book called No Job for a Man, which is all about him and his journey, which we talk about today. Plus, there's a writer strike in Hollywood, speaking of no jobs. So we're going to dive into what that might look like, the future for writers, AI, you name it. It's all there. It's a great chat with John Ross Bowie, not Bowie. It's okay. It's a tough name because everyone thinks they know how it's pronounced. And it is pronounced several different ways. My family has always said Bowie. Um, whenever I do like a local news thing and I can see the teleprompter that the uh, the the anchor person is using, it always says like B-A-O-I-E, <laughs> which is how I guess they they uh, that's the pronunciation guide that that people use. Um, you don't have to go back to fix it in post. We can we can talk about it uh, right now. This leads me seamlessly to my Scottish heritage. <laughs> well, I'm I'm half Scottish Irish there so we share a bit on that i'm a donnelly with a anderson in there somewhere so there's oh a yeah bit. yeah there's a bit. there we are there's a bit uh you currently uh hanging out there's a big writer strike going on down in la um yeah uh, we can dive into a few of things of that but um i appreciate you making the time today i know it's a busy uh schedule and, and you guys are getting pulled in a bunch of different directions right now as support uh towards the writers uh, continues to grow. And so I appreciate the time to come on this little show today from Vancouver, British Columbia. I, I, uh, uh, it's funny in some ways. Yes. We're out there uh, protesting. We're out there marching, but there also is a ton of downtime right now. Um, So making time is not, um, not a huge ask. Um, Also, I'm very fond of uh, Vancouver and its people. Like most American actors, I've worked up there. And uh, it's a lovely city. What? Uh, how much time did you spend up here? And what, what, what did you actually work on up here? Really just a very long weekend. Um, but I worked on uh, the TV show Psych, which took place in Santa Barbara, but shot in Vancouver and made sense. It, you can make Vancouver look like Santa Barbara with relative ease. Um, but it was, um, I was right by the... Uh, what is it called? Is it called the Gaslamp District? No, that's San Diego. What's what's the Oh Gastown. Gastown. It was right yeah. by Gastown. I was staying yeah. right by Gastown. Wandered around. Phenomenal Asian food. Great bookstores. Nice people. I uh took a my wife came up. We did a tandem bike ride through Stanley Park. Really no complaints. It was very nice. <laughs> The uh, there's so much being filmed. I'm I'm in a, a suburb of Vancouver in a little place called Cloverdale, which was where the original Smallville was filmed. Oh wow! Uh, they used it as like the, the the premise, but now they film Superman and Lois here, and they've built a full set just down the street from us. So that whole CW team is up here constantly. But then yeah. James James Gunn was up in this little town. Uh, film and Peacemaker. We had John Cena up here, and then Jim Carrey was just here doing Sonic. At one point, I think last summer or the summer before, you had Superman and Lois, uh, Cena filming James Gunn's Peacemaker, and then uh, Sonic all within two blocks. And it was oh like God. in this little tiny town, and it's just uh, I, I, that's that's Hollywood, I guess. That's that's movies, but and TV, but uh, 
man, it was something It was really, the, the town was just absolutely buzzing and that's not even downtown Vancouver. That's just out in the burbs. So, <laughs> so wow. it's good. I know a lot of people love coming up here and filming and doing stuff. Okay, John. Uh, so the premise of the show, do did will the story of people. Uh, why don't you tell the fine folks out there? What do you do? Um, I am an actor. Uh, I also write a bit. Um, I, uh, most people would know me from a recurring role on, on the big bang theory or uh, a role on a TV show called speechless. And then, um, I get recognized from other smaller one-off gigs here and there. Uh, every once in a while, someone would be like, Oh yeah, you were the yearbook photographer on glee or, um, you were that lawyer on heroes. Uh, so it's, um, it's kind of exactly the career I wanted when I moved out here was to become, uh, not famous, but vaguely recognizable. Uh, that's a good place to be. <laughs> it's not bad. It's not bad. It's a get, living. You can get, uh, you can get a coffee, you know, yeah. you can, you can, uh, go to the grocery store. Um, whereas potentially, I guess, but you had a, like you've had major characters and a lot of this stuff uh, the big bang especially with the, the just the how massive that show got i mean there but i can still i can still for the most part you know get my own groceries as you said you know i i'm i'm not mobbed um once in a great while i mean particularly not if i'm in los angeles because it's la and you know if you wait a second somebody infinitely more famous is going to come into this grocery store so you know there's no <laughs> point in there's no point in mobbing me. Every once in a while, I'll go out of town and I'll be in a, a either a suburb of L.A. or a smaller town elsewhere. And um, people will want their photographs taken with me or, or stuff like that. But it's a um, it's a nice mix of uh, renown and privacy, I think. Because I've got friends who are hugely famous who can't go anywhere, which is a drag which is a real drag and it's an extra drag if they've got kids. Yeah. Um, and I, I don't envy that. Um, but I have a, a nice little mix where I, um, I feel appreciated. Um, but I can also go about my day. <laughs> it's gotta be such an odd feeling to, um, because it's, it's only uh, with all due respect to the thing you hear actors and, and, uh, directors and people talk about all the time it's it's only movies and tv and film like we're acting for a living we're, we're entertaining people it's a it's a craft it's everything but it's so it must be so crazy to be that inundated with people all the time that want the want your attention for just being on tv or being in, in movies it's just it's a, very strange i was just kind of doing my own i was just doing my job over here and <laughs> and, and uh trying to qualify for health insurance and feed yeah. my kids and um yeah it, it, it's a little disorienting but at the same time i've never lost the part of me that is a massive fan yeah. of other people so i get it you know if i'm if i'm you know, I grew up in, in New York City and you would see actors walk down the street, sometimes incredibly famous ones. And I, I remember that that little thrill of, oh, I've seen that person on TV or even less so, even people who are like, oh, yeah, I, I vaguely recognize uh, there's an actor named Paul McCrane who was on ER. But when he was much younger, he was in the movie Fame and oh, yeah. he lived on my block in Hell's Kitchen. Um, and, uh, I, I remember seeing him walking down the street and just being like, oh my God, I watched him 
I watched his 12 foot high head in uh, the the movie theater in Times Square, and now he's just walking down the street. And that is a a an intense, visceral thing. Um, and then the when you see someone from TV, it's even weirder because they've been in your living room as yeah. far as you're concerned. So you've got a presumed sense of intimacy with this person that that is a little more there's an accessibility to TV actors. And most of my work has been in television where you don't necessarily give them the movie star reference. You're just like, hey, I can look over my coffee table and there you are, man. What's up? And like, OK, I can't see out my end of that box, but hi. <laughs> OK, so on that side of it. I, I often hear of actors that potentially get cursed with a role or something where they, you know, like uh, the Seinfeld curse, you know, Julia went on to great things, but, and Jerry took forever, but um, you know, Michael Richards, obviously outside of the controversy, never really caught on after Seinfeld and Jason Alexander, who is a theater mostly uh, and, and did a, a handful of roles tried a few things after Seinfeld and it never, it never really caught. And I wonder as an actor, uh, and you seem to do more character driven work a little bit. So it places you around in movies and different things, I think, which probably helps you. Yeah. But, um, I wonder, but what, what is the psyche for you, uh, as an actor in that scenario where you're on such a massive show like big bang theory, are you afraid to get pigeonholed into that character? People want you to be him all the time, or do you do you have enough separation there? Well, it's I mean, it's interesting. It will definitely lead my res my uh, my obituary. I was gonna say resume both. It'll lead both my resume and my <laughs> obituary. Yeah. Um. But um. You know, my last three years on doing a couple episodes a season on Big Bang also coincided with me playing a very sympathetic, funny sitcom dad on the show Speechless. So that kind of took away, uh, pictured here, that kind of took away a lot of my concerns regarding getting too typecast. Yeah. Um, it's going to sound a little cynical when I say, oh, the only thing worse than being typecast is being not cast. And I do believe that to a certain extent. But at the same time, everybody wants to show their versatility. Everybody wants to try different things and and show that they are more than just, um, you know, one physicist with a speech impediment. And I've been fortunate enough um, through just good luck and genuinely looking for different opportunities to do different kinds of roles and um speechless was such a dream gig in that regard because i got to do a lot of the broad silly stuff that that big bang offered while i also got to explore some much more emotional beats um that was just such a a, a fun interesting show and such a great character to play um that so somewhere around 2016, my concerns about being too terribly typecast sort of evaporated. Yeah. And, uh, you know, since then, I've um, I played a a sort of a creepy stand up comic on a show called Feel Good. I, I you know, I got to play a, a, a really uh sensitive gay dad on on Generation for, for HBO Max. I, I've been 
I, I sound like I'm just rattling off credits here, but it, it's okay. been it, it's been interesting do. enough that you know I've got I've had um, I've gotten to go a great distance from Kripke, and I'm you know obviously over the moon grateful for Kripke and the people I got to meet doing that show, yeah. um, and uh, the residual checks while they last, but it's um, but it's nice to try other stuff. And I, I hear you about the Seinfeld stuff, and I, I, you know, it's it's interesting because, as you say, Jason Alexander, you know, that's a guy who was absolute, you know, was was so iconic in the role of George Costanza, but also has a massive theater background. But the other key difference is there is twenty years between the end of Seinfeld mm-hmm. and the end of Big Bang Theory. And in those 20 years, the broadcast television audience shrank with incredible velocity. So simply put, there are more people who saw Jason Alexander play George Costanza than saw me play Barry Kripke by any stretch. There's more people who saw Jason Alexander play uh, George Costanza, then saw Jim play Sheldon Cooper. I mean, yeah, very interesting and then, point. And, very and then if you go before, and then you go twenty years before that to something like Mash, you know, something like sixty million people watched the finale of Mash in nineteen eighty three. You're lucky if you get those numbers for the Super Bowl now, because yeah. there's just so many more entertainment options mm-hmm. in your living room. Um, I, I not to you know uh, dive down on the economics of it, but the landscape has changed dramatically. More options, though, too, as well, which I want to mm-hmm. talk about with the part of the what do you do? You talked about a bit of writing. Obviously, there's a writer strike on right now, but there seems to be um, more ability for people to make content now and get noticed. Uh, the time, obviously, you talked about it being a, a little bit maybe easier now since since your role on, uh, on uh, Big Bang Theory about getting roles and getting cast and maybe contact them more I'm, I'm i don't know if you still have to audition i'm sure you'd probably have to audition for a few yeah, things but i do I but do. um is it easier now if there's no work to create work that's a really interesting question um the short answer is probably yes um to distinguish yourself in your self-created work is a little bit more of a challenge. And mm-hmm. I say this as one podcast host to another. Um, I, I, because of the, you know, the, the beautiful thing about the internet and the rise of, uh, of, of digital recording is that everyone has access to it. The mm-hmm. horrific thing about the internet and the rise of digital recording is that everyone has access to it. Yeah. Um, so you are the, the you're an increasingly small fish in an increasingly large pond. Um, but yes, at the end of the day, um, I can I can write a a small memoir. It can get published by a small house. I can use my own social media outreach outreach to promote it. And and that is something that that's an opportunity I wouldn't have had, say, 25 sure. years ago. You know, there's definitely more. I think uh, once you you get out there more time than ever, that's there's more opportunity now, I believe, for everyone to carve out their at least their own little corner of what it of what it is. And that's all professions like that's yeah. all professions. But 
with uh, film and TV, with the competition uh, being what it is, mm-hmm. uh, it's almost like upped everyone's game of individual content to see, you know, to keep up a little bit. And it's almost like there's like a, uh, I have a couple of other actor friends that are like, well, I just, just keep posting stuff online and I get uh, auditions out of it. And it's way easier than when I had to drive halfway across Hollywood and wait with 40 other people and then do seven callbacks. And now it's just like, they like you and your personality of what you've put up or they don't. And they either contact you or they don't. Uh, yeah. So there's that side of it, which is interesting. Yeah. I, I, you know, it's funny. If you had told me five years ago, I would miss auditioning in person. I'd have smacked you in the face. <laughs> and yet um, there was the opportunity to really go in and not just audition in front of real people, but take uh, adjustments and direction on the fly, which you can't do when you just send a tape into the ether. Mm. There was a sense of, um, I loved being able to hear a director say, okay, that's great. I want you to keep this in mind about this character and um, uh, and try it sort of from this angle. And that challenge of sort of, reinventing your performance off the cuff like that was really exciting to me. And I, I miss that. And what I'm finding with the, the picket line right now is that I, I very much miss, there was a social aspect to auditioning yeah. wherein, you know, it's very rare when you get to walk into a room and see 20 guys who are vaguely your type <laughs> and who you have. And you know, yes, we are all quote unquote competing, but after a certain age, you stop sweating that and you're just like, oh, this is so nice. I get to see, uh, I'm going to see Craig and I'm going to see PJ and I'm going to see Mark and, and I'm going to see Brian and all these guys um, that are, um, we're all in the same pool and we're all trying to get work and maybe this time will be my turn or perhaps it will be Craig's turn. Yeah. And, uh, but it's all going to, it'll work out in the end. And, uh, um, Hey, it's only one page of scenes. So how about you hang out while I'm in there and we'll go grab coffee afterwards. There was a social aspect to auditioning that I, I am surprised uh, at how much I miss it. That's the one thing about the pod world right now too, with everyone having pods, but, uh, but also some people giving a little bit of insight into the world, which we never really got before. And I think that's happening with every single career. Really, the people that have pods in like security or pe- people have in in crypto or banking or whatever, we're getting a bit of a a look into that space. Um, Smartless does it pretty well too with those with those guys talking about going for different auditions and and things that they had to go through. And and I'm always it always cracks me up when I hear Jason asking director questions. I'm like, <laughs> I get it's like me asking like. You know, somebody like yourself that's been on a bunch of massive shows and movies or asking a hockey player, do you still need to be coached? Like, aren't you there? (laughs) Aren't you there? But I guess you never stop learning. That's the hope. That is definitely the hope. Yeah, the the podcast thing has been interesting. And one of the reasons I started the podcast I do, uh, Household Faces, is because, A, somebody said, hey, do you want to host a podcast? And I said, yes, but I don't want it to just be any, you know, I don't want it to just be John talks to his friends. So we very specifically honed it down to me speaking to character actors, journeyman actors who are maybe not famous, who are not household names, but are household faces, who you would recognize them sure. immediately. 
and um, doing a deep dive on how you how you cope with the career's instabilities, how you hang on to your craft, and then just the kind of fun, you know, gossipy stories you can get from some of these guys who have been everywhere. You know, Kevin Pollack has worked with everyone and he's a gifted mimic. So you're not just going to get a Jack Nicholson story. You're going to get a Jack Nicholson story with a very credible Jack Nicholson impression therein, uh, which made it really, really fun to talk to the guy. Um, but yeah, I, it, it, as to your comment about um, going deep into a profession, that was my intent with, with Household Faces. And I think we went deep enough that we failed to get, I think we failed to get a big audience um, because, you know, Stephen Root is a is a, an icon in my household, but Absolutely. you know, my my in-laws don't know who he is necessarily or they do but they don't know his name and so there was some uh you know there were there were um we're gonna try it again we're gonna we're gonna launch a, a patreon soon and bring i would it encourage back. it i think i think that actors especially that you're talking to like what you're what you're saying um i've learned a lot in this space obviously i'm no one knows who i am i've just been building this thing for a couple of years through various things and it's built into a nice great area for me now uh-huh. uh, people like yourself giving me the time so uh, thank you but i but i i love those kind of shows and i think that there's audiences for every single thing and obviously we don't want to waste our time it's like well i'm not getting paid from this or i'm not doing that we everyone's busy so i get it but i think i think your the premise of your show is wonderful and i think that that the, the actors like that we look at as being character actors like kevin i could listen to kevin talk all day yeah, I mean, he's got such a great thing, and there's there's space for that. So hopefully you'll 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 keep doing that. Maybe we'll dive into that on the will side. But I do I do have a question for you about uh, how did you do it? You mentioned New York. You're in L.A. now. So um, how how did you do it, man? Well, um, briefly, without giving away too much of my memoir, um, I um, had always harbored a deep-seated, deep-hidden um, wish to be an actor and to go into the arts. But the catch about growing up in New York City is that you see the downside of a career in the arts, or not the downside, but you see how how hard it can be. You know, if you're growing up in a small town and you want to be an actor, all you see are the finished products. You see the the movies and the TV shows and the award shows, God help you. And that can give you kind of a skewed perspective of the profession. You don't see the people who have MFAs and are still waiting tables uh, into their Mm. 40s. And no disrespect to that, but it is a very, it's a hard business. It's a hard business in which to find consistent work. And so I got kind of scared off from a very young age and tried to do a bunch of other things um, at which I was not great. You know, I, 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 I was a high school teacher briefly, but I was, I was not terrible at that, but I was very young. I was 22 when I was teaching high school and I looked like a senior in a tie. And I think the kids had a little trouble as I would have respecting that. So that didn't go very well. I tried to do sort of, you know, more mainstream office work, some secretarial work. Uh, I tried to be a copywriter for a while and I, I couldn't quite get the hang of that. Um, I had a bunch of different uh, jobs in a bunch of different industries. I was in a band for a while, which is, you know, somehow even um, 
even less reliable than a career in acting. Um, and eventually it just got to a point where I was 27 and miserable and had tried all these careers. And my friend Andy Secunda suggested I try improv classes. And it was, and, and that's where it becomes just the cliched story of a guy gets up on stage, gets a laugh and says, well, this is what I'm doing now. Yeah. This is what I do. Yeah. And, you know, that's every, you know, every third actor memoir has that scene. Um, but I, I just felt like if I don't at least give this a shot, I'm going to be very mad at myself. It will always be something I regret. And, and after that, it's a series of, um, strokes of luck. Um, so yes, I have to quit my job and the relationship I was in at the time falls apart, but I can just move back in with my mom who's right in the West forties in Manhattan. So it's not a huge hassle to like, it's not moving back home. Doesn't mean, you know, moving back to Buffalo or something. I'm still moving in. Like I'm, I'm moving back home in the entertainment capital of the United States. We all, move, one home. Of them. We all move home on the journey, man. Yeah. <laughs> we all yeah. move home. But it's so it's it that was kind of um, and then the other great thing that was happening, this is like 1998, 1999, is that I was going out for commercials, this skinny, youngish looking 20 something with glasses at a time when that was the look because it was the dot com boom and the dot coms all wanted nerds to be their spokesmen. Hmm. Um, and and that was really that was an interesting shift as well. So I had a bunch of, the, and I was starting at the Upright Citizens Brigade Theater, which was just starting to get clout, and casting directors were start to, starting to show up, and it was sort of the new game in town. And I had a bunch of things working to my advantage. Um, and then I met uh, uh, the woman who is now my wife in, in an improv class, and we moved out here to Los Angeles in, in 02. And um, I have been fortunate uh, that I have, I have just been making a living as an actor and a writer since then. What was this phase when you, when you made the move to LA, um, and you, was there a spot where you were like, I I'm, I'm in, I'm, I can do this now for the rest of my life. Well, again, I got really fortunate really early. I, I moved here in January Oh two. And by March of Oh two, I had booked an NBC pilot um, because at, you know, at that point I was 30, um, but I was a new face. You know, the mm -hmm. LA casting directors didn't know me, didn't know who this 30 year old was. And I got like the, the smallest role, the, the lowest um, spot on the call sheet of a, of a legal sitcom that only aired eight episodes, but it, it got me a big sizable foot in the door and he's like, oh, he's been a series regular. Uh, you know, we can have him audition for other things. So there was most of my dues pain was done in New York. And mm -hmm. then it carried over. Uh, I was able to transfer the credits to Los Angeles. New York or L.A.? Which one do you like better? Um, That's really complicated. I have a very, very complicated relationship with New York City. Um, it is... It is my home and I will continue to root for the Mets. Um, but <laughs> uh, but it's also a very hard place to be middle class. Mm. It's also home um, uh, to 
you know, not to get too heavy, but a lot of my childhood trauma takes place, you know, sure. there. I, I, I always say that like going back to New York is like walking through an old girlfriend, like not running into walking through an old girlfriend. <laughs> I'm like, Oh, we had some good times, but Oh God, the fights were gnarly. <laughs> so and, and- would that be then, let, let me ask you this then about, about, uh, let's say you book a gig. Right. And it's like, mm-hmm. Hey, we're filming in New York for six months. Do you have to make that decision based on a f- obviously family? You've got to balance all the rest of it. You got to decide what's worth it to you. But I would prop. This- I would probably do it, you know, because yeah. it's 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 being employed in New York is not in New York is not a terrible place to be. Sure. And I also know how to live cheaply in New York. Gotcha. You know, I think there's a lot of people who would be like, oh, if I'm going to live in New York, I'm going to get a place in Soho. I'm like, mm, you could. Or you could grab a place in Jackson Heights and live like a king. Gotcha. <laughs> and um, is that where uh, all the actors? Is that where all the actors are? Uh, lately, I'm told. Yeah, there's a big because uh, they're moving deeper into Queens as the yeah. city gets more expensive. It used to be Astoria, which is right by the water, and you're two stops into Manhattan. But as Astoria gets more gentrified, everyone's kind of moving deeper in. You still gotcha. want to be on the subway line, though. Sure. Um, but so I I feel like it hasn't come up. I've actually worked in London more than I've worked in New York, which is crazy. Um, But um, I, I would probably do it for the right job. Um, But it, uh, it would be an adjustment. It would be a weird, weird adjustment. There would be one part of it that would be like, Oh, I'm, I'm going back into this, uh, this part of my life that I left for a reason and um it, it, it's uh it's again a very complicated relationship but there would also be a sense of hail the conquering hero you know local boy makes good <laughs> to it i don't know has it come up the fact of the matter is that adam goldberg got that role i auditioned for on the equalizer and it hasn't really been an issue since then it right. hasn't come up uh so I, I i don't know what to tell you <laughs> adam's great on the show by the way he's phenomenal do you uh the, the balance now between family and uh you talked about uh, not you can still go get your groceries and things so that definitely helps um what is that balance you try to do right now between acting uh like i'm sure it's kind of uh i don't know if it's feast or famine for you now but i'm sure it was then when you made it was when you were still trying to break in so is there a balance of 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 trying to get them to the all the things that they have to do uh, be a uh, available husband, but then you're also just trying to balance Hollywood and, and, and keep working. It's a challenge, but it's a challenge that most working parents have to deal with. You know, I'm not going to, um, uh, you know, what, what we have going for us here as, as Angelinos is a, a very deep bench of actors we know who could use the extra work. So if, if, um, Jamie and I are both working, we can find somebody who, who can, um, drive carpool for us or, uh, um, or can, um, you know, uh, take Walter to his karate class or what have you. So we, we've, we've been very fortunate in the regard that we've got a, a, a really nice friend group out here and who are very much, you know, there's, there's a, a myth that, you know, there's no sense of community in a big city, but you can make your own community. And we have a village here that mm. we can we can use to help us make strike a good work life balance. Well, everyone's um, kind of going through the same thing. Yeah, I, th- I think, you know, in, in all walks. But um, 
from a character actor standpoint, yeah. is that what you consider yourself? I do. Yeah. I do. So from a character actor standpoint, I mean, you're going to be right for many things. You're going to not be right for other things. You just kind of have to wade through, wade through it. Uh, uh-huh. in this, in this did process, um, theater, maybe, uh, a bit of, um, improv and, and TV and film. Do you like that balance or is there one that you lean towards more than the others? There's an old, um, there's an old, uh, adage that actors toss around that, uh, what is it? Um, film will make you famous. TV will make you rich. Theater will make you good. <laughs> um, and I am trying to do more theater to get better um, or to get gooder. Um, and I am, uh, and it's a, it's both a great time and a weird time to, to be trying to do more theater. Um, it's the right now with the writer strike going on, it's the only game in town. But um, also with the writer strike going on, you know, tons of actors want to do theater. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I, I love it. I mean, I, I I like being able to hone a performance in TV. I like being able to try different takes on things. But I also love the feeling of doing a play and getting a chunk of text just in your body and just being able to get out there and play and make it make it a little different every night without, you know, fucking up with your co-stars. Um, I've, I've done a lot of like small black box theater here in LA and I, I find it incredibly satisfying, incredibly fun. Um, it, you know, it, it's not particularly lucrative. You can't make a living doing it necessarily, but it is a, a wonderful opportunity and it sharpens me and it keeps me, um, it makes learning TV lines infinitely easier. Uh, you know, if you can, if you can get your head around a, uh, a two hour Chekhov adaptation, you can absolutely learn the sides for your, your two scenes on station 19, you know? So it, it's a, a fascinated it, it's by nice. that. I am fascinated <laughs> by your, any actor's ability to do that, which I like to keep them separate. Uh, I'm in the music industry. I, I don't go to a concert normal now. Like I run concerts for a living. I don't, I don't go to a concert and well, I try to just enjoy the act, but I'm generally like, okay, we're at, I wonder what that changeover is going to be. And Oh, look what they got for a video wall. And I wonder oh, their load in must've been this time. Like my brain just goes to there. So yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I, I like to keep TV film and all that stuff separate. Cause I don't you, want, I don't sure. want to, I don't want to watch don't. it and go there. Oh, they used a, a 49 uh, Rogers HC on that. I'm like, what the hell is that? I don't know. I'm just saying a Johnson rod. <laughs> I, 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 but you find yourself, I bet if you're at a really good concert, that's taken away, right? If you're really Absolutely. lost in the music. Yeah. And so the same thing happens here. If I'm watching a good TV show and there are quite a few good TV shows, then yeah. I'm able to just lose myself in it. And if the show if the show is lacking somehow, yeah. that's when my head pops in with the, is that a green screen? Where are they? <laughs> is that, are they on location or are they doing, are they faking this one out? That's it. So is he even there for his yeah. over the shoulder coverage or is that his body double? Um, you know, and that's when it, it, it's lesser TV shows, lesser movies that yeah. take me out of the process. But if I'm watching the succession, um, I am all in. All in. 
all and in all day. I, as far as I'm concerned, uh, 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 even though ATN's inside is probably nowhere near ATN's outside, ATN is in the hub of, of it's like somewhere in the financial district and that's where they work. And I'm all in believing it. That's the magic of it. And that's what keeps us watching. Uh, you, uh, speaking of did, you did write a memoir that came out a little while ago. And how much fun was that? And what brought you to, to decide to do that? You saw the face. <laughs> you saw the face I made when you said fun, right? Um, I uh, was it fun? It was. Um, well, I I thought for a while about writing something about my father, with whom I had a a a, a good, but very complicated relationship. I'm using that word a lot. I realize sure. that, but um, my my dad i think also had a lot of artistic aspirations and he was not able to fulfill them and i think that was frustrating for him and i wanted to write about that and then kind of out of the blue a a literary agent named todd schuster saw some of my work and i think saw my what at the time was a fairly robust twitter feed and said oh perhaps this guy has a book in him and we met for coffee and um he sort of nudged me in the direction of the book no job for a man the title comes from a phrase that my dad used about the acting industry way too much mm -hmm. um and um uh he would he would attribute it to uh to spencer tracy he's like remember what spencer tracy used to say about acting it's no job for a man i'd be like thanks dad that's um it also it, this no job for a man paid off my student loans in sure. a way that nothing else did. So, OK, but um, so I feel like there's. Um, I feel like it was good. It feels really wonderful to have written it. The mm -hmm. writing process was hard. You know, it's hard to write about your parents. It's uh, honestly it's hard to write about your shortcomings. Um, and as hard as all of that was. Um, doing the audiobook in four days was exhausting. Uh. It was really, really, um, uh, I, I would, I did in a little studio up in, uh, Studio City, which is in the San Fernando Valley here. And it was, um, tiny little booth, director, engineer. And it's one thing to write your story over a period of two or three years. It's quite another to read it out loud mm. over four days. And it was very intense. And I came home in a very weird mood every night. Um, but it feels great to have done it. And it has been, of the things I have put out into the world, uh, it has made a small splash, but a very positive splash. Um, no one has spoken ill of it, uh, even on the internet, which is striking. <laughs> uh, really, when you think about what the internet is, um, uh, the fact that there has been minimal shit talking uh, or no shit talking that I've seen, knock wood, uh, is uh, remarkable. Uh, things there's things that maybe warrant shit talking, but being vulnerable and talking about your journey and maybe some struggles that you had, uh, especially that generation, who doesn't have a, a a father or an uncle or somebody that's like, you can't do that job. Uh, uh. Go, go, yeah. go, call Carl. He's got a plumber job for you down the street. You know, one of my mentors, uh, when you run concerts, people are like, but what do you do? And I, I get tired of trying to, 
you know, I try to explain it as best I can. But one of my mentors is like, I just tell people I'm a plumber now because Amazing. they just stop asking questions. Amazing. Because even with you, with acting, it's, oh, you're an actor. What have you been in? Well, then there's 20 minutes. We're doing it now. But there's 20 minutes of you having to tell your story. And then they go, but what does it mean? And then you're like, what? You know, it's, it's almost like a mini podcast every day for you. So I feel for you on that side. I, I, well, here's here's a little trick I, I've done. And uh, uh, it's akin to your friend's plumber uh, device. Um, I worked in enough industries in new york before i became an actor that i have a sampling of jargon from a bunch of these different places yeah so if somebody comes at me with what do you do doesn't recognize me wants to know what i do i don't feel like talking i'm a management consultant predominantly uh change integration and oracle implementation and their eyes glaze the fuck over and they put their headphones in <laughs> <walk It's> <laughs> wonderful and it's like oh we're gonna have a quiet flight then are we good amazing uh Good for you. That's awesome. Uh, okay, friend, we're uh, we're gonna wrap here in a minute because uh, I know you're busy. So uh, you wrote one book. You're acting all the time, but what will you do next? You know, I'm not entirely sure, and I'm I am at a place finally where I'm at peace with that. I am working on another book proposal. I have a draft into my literary agent, waiting for notes. I am always writing things plays or something you know i've always got a couple projects on the docket so that i can never cry writer's block like you i'm not i'm i'm never blocked on like all three things that i'm working on i can find some creative energy for at least one of them um i'm really just um enjoying being a dad i'm going camping with my son this weekend amazing um that'll be fun um so yeah there's a few um uh you know, I have no idea what's going to be up in six months. I'd like to think the strike will likely be over in six months. Um, uh, and there will be some return to normalcy. But even normalcy is going to look a little different. We're still not 100% back from the pandemic. Um, we are still um, dealing with massive technological shifts in the industry. Um, uh, some of which save time. Uh, some of which... Um, cut costs in a draconian manner mm -hmm. um so there's a few um there's a lot of different open roads ahead of me and my personal journey right now is not letting myself get freaked out by that <laughs> well i'm seeing a lot especially when you're talking about smartless uh, and jason bateman's sister justine has been pretty uh heavy on uh, anti-ai uh, and what it might do to the business so and she's I, a coder she actually has background in coding, so Incredible. she really knows of which she speaks. Yeah, I know it's it's such an interesting um, discussion. Yeah, because there's there's benefits to everything that that come out, and and disadvantages to everything that come out. Uh, yeah. But AI seems to be it's the topic of the of the week right now, and I know that I think the writers are definitely trying to put something into their contract to to protect themselves from it. I'm well, fascinated. Yeah. What, we're, what we're doing, one of the things we're doing, and this is going to affect the music industry, too, is there is a movement to rebrand, to, to change the conversation, because AI is an umbrella term. Like, yeah. there's AI that can help us cure cancer. I'm not knocking that. What we're talking about is imitation software, mm -hmm. which can go after songwriting and can go after the first drafts, drafts of scripts yeah. and, and can even eventually go after the sort of deep fake technology that can you know, 
keep me working after I die. I like the movie Star Wars Rogue One. I am very freaked out by the fact that dead Peter Cushing is in it. Um, you know, there's there's things uh, going on right now that can that can really hurt the creatives and it is this imitation software so there's a, a small growing movement of us trying to um uh, bring that phrase into the zeitgeist so people really understand what we are fighting against um, I, i'm fascinated by it because uh my uh, the the watching public and i've already been told don't know some of the ai they're already watching and I think no. that's the 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 freaky part because um, it's technology is going to take us regardless. We can't uh, we can't avoid it. And and I I'm all for protecting everybody in every aspect and every profession from uh -huh. it. Um, mm -hmm. But I wonder about the the patience of the future filmmaker or film future film watcher of not caring about what they're watching it's like there's going to be an ai category at the oscars now or is there right. going to be an ai right. category? you know or or is yeah. it going to be all ai and then there's going to be filmed without ai categories on netflix and it's so fascinating to me yeah yeah it's um there are still people doing you know quiet thoughtful work yeah uh where ai has has no place and um there are um it's people <laughs> I've talked to some comedy writers who are like, well, I tried to make my uh, uh, chat GPT write a comedy scene and it couldn't. So I think we're safe. And I was like, no, see, by entering the information you entered, it learned a little bit more. Sure. Stop doing that. Stop yeah. encouraging <laughs> that. <laughs> um, so um, but yeah, I think that's it's um, uh, the key thing is making sure that real people have real jobs that's always it you know mm -hmm. that that real genuinely irreplaceable people are not replaced by by machines you know and I, i'll be perfectly honest with you if i'm if i've got a, a bunch of groceries i don't go to the self-checkout for a couple of reasons something always goes wrong with the machine and i would actually rather talk to an actual clerk sure and uh and 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 you know, not do my own bagging. I am happy to to uh, to help out with that, um, and so I certainly don't want the automatic checkout machine. You know, writing drafts of pilots. Well, I I have hope for it all. I think there's smart people all the way around that will do their best to protect uh, to protect your profession, especially and and all. But um, and yours as well, and yours yes, as well. It's, yeah, it's well. coming. It's coming. For, it's breathing down the neck of music as well. And uh, that's. Uh, but I, I also have a a, mm. a, a a bright core of optimism. Well, hopefully you'll uh, you will continue the podcast, and you <laughs> will write another book here shortly. And uh, and you will keep entertaining us for a very, very long time. I appreciate the time today, especially uh, given what's going on in the world and, and how you guys are getting pulled in a million directions. So thank you, John. It's really oh, it's means, really, really been a, a lot. Thanks for having me. Uh, that is Do Did Will, the Story of People podcast for another week. Uh, check out John on all the socials and everywhere you see him. And check out his role here in Jumanji. I, 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 I really was like, I, there he is. And I'm like... 
wow, did they ever do a good job of hiding you here? And uh, and you did a good job of acting and, and sending us on a loop. My, uh, my, my, the highest compliment I got paid on that set was Karen Gillan thought I was actually British. Amazing. That meant a great deal to me. Yeah. That means you got the British thing right because there's so many different, you know, uh, dialects of it. I just did standard BBC newscaster, uh, what they call received pronunciation. Okay. I didn't try to. I didn't try to give it a sort of like, you know, oh, he's a he's a uh, an evil sidekick from Manchester. I, I just kept it real basic, but she bought it, and that was very flattering. Where can people find you online? Uh, I am at John Ross Bowie on Instagram, and that's kind of it right now. I feel like I've aged out of the other uh, the other platforms, uh, and I find Instagram to be the least toxic. Uh, of of uh, of the socials right now, so back that's to, where it's back to pictures. It's yeah, back to pictures. Which yeah, is what it started doing anyway. So, John Ross Bowie, thank you so much. Do did will the story people podcast. Uh, we'll see you next week, Bill. Thanks. It is your favorite girl. That's right. It's the Ali Mars, the one and the only. Everyone else just ain't me. I am the host of Welcome to Mars, a lifestyle podcast where nothing is off the table. I have come a long way from sex and dating and have transformed the new vibe to all things lifestyle. We still talk sex, but I'm more interested in the journey, where people have come from, how they made it, and where they're going. Subscribe or follow to a brand new look and a brand new era. Welcome to Mars. Subscribe or follow on Apple, Spotify, Google, or at theallymars.com. Because even with the new look, I'm still that same bitch you love to hate. What happens when we play outside? We become healthier, both mentally and physically. We become more creative and more focused. We connect with nature, each other, and ourselves. Let's Take This Outside, a new podcast hosted by me, Marianne Iveson, an aspiring outdoor athlete and nature lover. I speak to athletes, outdoor professionals, and scientists about their connection to nature, how it affects their performance and everyday life. Let's Take This Outside, available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, and at letstakethisoutside.ca.